are we doing? You guys are the brave crew that braved what I'm sure is going to be just a, a huge snowstorm when we get out of here, right? Oh, I've lived in Texas long enough to know that a lot of talk, not a lot of snow. Well, we are, as Kaylee mentioned, we're jumping back into week two of our reset series. And we spent last week, which was the first week, uh, Bruce led us in learning about resetting our perspective on God. And that's where you should absolutely start when you think about, hey, if I want to begin to reset my perspective on life, I should start with looking at my perspective on God. And Bruce did a great job leading us last week. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to uh, watch it on the web or get the community group app. That sermon will be on there as well. And, and, and go back and listen to the way Bruce shared with us from Romans 11. It was really, really encouraging. And, and now as we roll into week two, so it's appropriate that as we think about resetting our view of God, that the next thing that we, should ought, that we ought to consider is how do we reset our perspective on priorities? How do we reset our perspective on priorities? And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning because really the new year is a great time to consider this because if you're like me, you're constantly being bombarded early in January with all sorts of people who have great ideas about how they think I should spend my time. Uh, new gym membership, a new meal prep plan, um, some sort of a new financial plan, um, some sort of a new Bible reading plan, and on and on and on. People telling me, hey, if you will, your problem, Lev, is not that you're not doing stuff, you're just doing the wrong things. And if you would do the things that we think you should do, your life will settle into a rhythm of peace and order and clarity. And the reality is, is what they want to do, the world wants us to do, is just to add more and more to our plate in hopes that it would numb us from what is the reality of a really hard world. And so I bet that as we start week two of this reset series, there are some in the room who are coming into this place or checking us out online who are weary and who are tired and who feel like their plate is plenty full enough and perhaps too full. But I don't think it's just individually uh, us that's feeling that way. I think if you looked at the last week that our country has had, I think you would, you would be right to say it looks like our country has our priorities collectively out of whack. As you watched, perhaps like I did, the news this week and saw something on the TV that I thought was more akin to another country on the planet as people stormed our nation's Capitol building and as there was chaos around that, I thought, man, we have got our priorities way out of whack. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy when I do it individually, and it's a tragedy when collectively our nation takes that turn and is collectively off track. Does God have anything to say about that? Does God have anything that would help us ease our exhaustion and our weariness and sometimes our give-upness to the whole thing? I think the answer is he does. Yeah, I think he has spoken very clearly on these topics and more. And I hope this morning you're encouraged as we look at how would God have us reset our priorities. As we move through our time this morning, we're going to be in a lot of Bible. And so we're going to be popping around in several different places in God's Word. And we'll have those verses up behind me. But if you miss them, don't, don't worry. We'll have those in the sermon guide, all of them, um, that we'll push out later this week. And I would encourage you. I would encourage you every week to go back through the sermon guide and to look at the scriptures that I'm going to talk about today to make sure that I am sharing them in the way that's accurate with what is in God's words, that it's in context, that it makes sense. Test what I say before you put it into action. So as we think about priorities, let's define priorities, right? A priority is anything, really it could be anything or any person that takes up mind space, that 
is what we think about. It's the things we spend our money on. It's, just, it's the way we schedule our calendar. It's what we, when we have those quiet moments uh, and we have nothing to do, those 10 minutes where you're waiting for your kid to come out of your early for some appointment. It's what your brain goes to. Those are, those are priorities in your life. We all have them. And as we look at the beginning of the year, it's, it's not a helpful, I mean, it's a helpful exercise just to go back and say, hey, in 2020, I had some things that I prioritized. And were those things valuable? Did they help me? Did I accomplish the things that I set out to accomplish? Some of you may have started 2020 with high hopes of, of eating better. And then you had kale. And you're like, that's awful. I don't think I want to do that again. Uh, some of us may have thought about, we're going to read through God's word diligently. And you got to somewhere around I don't know, Leviticus 15 and the laws of bodily discharge, and you're like, I'm out, I'm out. And so the things you prioritized at the beginning of the year may not have been the things you were prioritizing at the end of the year. See, I think that oftentimes when we talk about priorities, many of us instinctively have something in our brain that maybe looks something like this. It's, it's we've got a couple of priorities, three or four, or maybe you're like super ambitious and you've got five, things you would say, hey, these are my top priorities. And of course you have to have God on that list because... Um, you just have to, otherwise people will judge you. And maybe you got family or work or maybe school if you're a student. And we instinctively think that the secret sauce of life is figuring out how to manage the tension that exists between those three or four top priorities, right? And so if I really double down on my walk with Jesus and on my work, I may feel like I'm letting some stuff slide at home. And so I pivot and I say, I'm going to really double down with my family and work. And then I find myself feeling like sometimes my relationship with the Lord is is slipping. And I think that's how we often, if I just were to ask you how we instinctively think about it, but I don't think that's actually reality. I think what's reality is looks a little bit more like this, which is we're not just managing our top three or four or five. We are struggling to keep a lot of priorities in line. Family, work, God, kids, sports, a plumbing bill that popped up, a first date, our in-laws. What are we going to get our spouse for our anniversary or our friend for their birthday? What about that PTA meeting? What about my Instagram account? And on and on and on. And it's just too much to manage. And if you're like me, sometimes you just check out of the whole thing. You just wanna, you just wanna scroll, binge, or buy. You just wanna scroll through Instagram to forget, or you wanna binge watch something on Netflix, or you just wanna buy something off Amazon. And, and so we just have such give upness as we consider trying to manage all of these competing priorities. And I don't think that's what God intended for his people. I don't think that's what Jesus wants from his people. I think when we look at our lives and the exhaustion, I think Jesus would say, you guys are carrying a big old bag of rocks that I never intended for you to carry. We're going to look at a couple different passages. Let's start in Matthew chapter 11. Um, I'll read the passage and I'll make some comments. Matthew eleven twenty to 30, Jesus says to a group of people listening, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in this section of scripture, Jesus right before these verses was talking about the fact that, that Jesus would be the one who would show the father to everybody else. And so you might be asking, well, who is Jesus going to show the father to? And Jesus says, I'll show it to anybody who comes to me. And those who come are the ones that are weary and heavy laden. And so the prerequisite to coming to Jesus is that you're weary, you're tired, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And if you were a first century Jew, right, because these words took place in a context, if you were a first century Jew, you were a weary individual. Because see, God had given the Jews, the covenant people, his law, 613 commandments. And the religious leaders of the day had taken those 613 commandments that we find in our Old Testament scripture, and they had said, hey, it's not just about following these 613 commandments. They put on them thousands of other uh, uh, legislation and rules and regulations that they forced the people to follow. They say, it's not just 613, it's, it's all these ones around them. And if you don't do them perfectly, then you can't come worship God in the temple. And they were oppressing people. They were oppressing people so much that Jesus said of these men, these religious leaders that they tied up heavy burdens on the people that were hard to bear. And they laid them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves were not willing to move their fingers. And so the people that Jesus was speaking to in that first century day, they were weary and exhausted and trying to juggle too many things like many of us today. Jesus in John 10.10, 10, he's in the middle of this passage where Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd, the shepherd who guards the flock, who protects the flock, who makes sure we know who comes in, who, who, who comes in and out. Ooh, that's weird. And Jesus says in the middle of this passage, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, restful, abundant life. But the reason many of us aren't experiencing that as our reality is because I think we greatly misunderstand the biblical concept of priorities. The reason Many of us walked in this morning or tuned on to the live stream is because we are weary and we're heavy laden and we misunderstand God's clear call for the priorities of our life. Now, before we go any further, I do want to pivot just a smidge and I want to address a topic here. I want to get this right up front. So we come up here weekly. We often say around here that, that each week we host a, a pastor's conference. And so when I prepare to teach, when others prepare to teach, we are talking primarily first to our family members, those who said, hey, I want to be a part of this body of Christ, where we can train and equip you and teach you on what God's word says about being salt and light in the community. But we know every single week, every week, we've got visitors who show up here or who tune in through the live stream, and they may not have been to church in a long time, maybe ever, and they don't know a lot of what we're talking about. And so what I want to start with is saying, that um, every man, woman, and child who's ever walked the planet, the primary priority of their life is their relationship to God. And the reality is every one of us, every one of us has a relationship with God. Every one of us. And scripturally, that relationship is defined in one of two ways. Scripture says the relationship with God is either one of a son or a daughter. So for those who by God's crazy grace have come to know and trust in Jesus. We have been adopted and the Bible says we have been made sons and daughters of God and our eternity is secured. Not just our eternity when we die, but our eternity today is secured and we can live a life of peace and of hope and a purpose in the midst of the chaos. Or the Bible says you're an enemy. So you are either a son or a daughter or you are an enemy. Those are the only two categories that speak about the relationship we have with God. And so if you're an enemy of God, if you've, if you've not come to know this Savior that God sent for you, then you need to know that God, you are not on the right side of your relationship. You're an enemy. And so if you were to die today, your eternity is secure, as separated from all that is right and good and lovely. Your life on earth, it's a mist. And you are drifting without any real purpose your hope is going to be found only in what you can accomplish and what you can do. And I want you to know that God is not mad at you. 
that he sent his son for you. In fact, this is what Paul talks about. Paul wrote a letter to his friends in Corinth. We call that 1 Corinthians as a letter. And Paul was speaking to them, and he says, hey, I want to go back to when I first visited you. And here's what he writes to them. He says, I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. So Paul's going to say, hey, the thing that is of first importance is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's, that's another name for Peter, and to the twelve. And what Paul is saying is, the thing that is most important is not our gender or our uh, ethnicity or our race, it's not our socioeconomical status, it's not our political party. The thing that is most important is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Jesus Christ came, he lived a perfect life, he was betrayed, tortured, put on a cross, dead, and buried. And then God raised him from the dead, defeating sin and death, so that you and I could be restored. See, there is a, an eternal gap that exists between me and a holy God, and there is no amount of old ladies that you can help across the street. There is no amount of money you can give that's going to help you close that gap. It is impenetrable. It's too, distance is too far for you. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. And God says, I've got you. His name is Jesus. And if you will simply put your trust in the reality that he did what you could not do by faith, then you can be adopted into the family of God. And so it would be ludicrous for me to go any further to put the cart before the horse. If you are in this room or watching online, you've never addressed what is your greatest priority, which is your relationship with God. And we would love to talk to you about that. Now, for those of us who, again, by God's grace, not because of anything we've done, have come to know Jesus as King, and have been adopted into the family, we've got work to do. We need to straighten out our confusion about priorities because confusion about priorities leads to exhaustion. <clears throat> confusion about priorities leads to exhaustion. And really, as I look at Scripture, I see only one priority. And I've been studying God's Word for about 25 years. And as I've read and reread it, I only see one priority. And it's, it's teed up a couple of different ways in Scripture, but it's all pointing to the same message. Let me read from you a couple of passages and let's talk about this. Matthew 6. 25 to 23, this is a longer section, so I'll summarize it. Jesus is in the middle of his sermon, and he says, listen, guys, I don't want you to be anxious about life, what you're going to eat. Look at the birds. They don't, they don't store up stuff, but I take care of them, and you are worth way more than birds. He says, look at the flowers. Look at the lilies. They are just amazing. They're dressed in splendor. They're dressed better than King Solomon was. And yet, what do they do? They don't do anything. They just grow. They're here today, and they're thrown into the fire tomorrow. And Jesus says, listen, you need to focus on things that are important. Gentiles run after those things. What can we eat? What can we drink? What, can we, what are we going to wear? That's what the people who don't know God run after. But Jesus says, but you who, who know God, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, the food and the clothing and all that stuff, that's going to be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These verses are tucked into the Sermon on the Mount. We spent an entire summer unpacking this passage from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. We spent a whole summer unpacking this sermon. And in this sermon, Jesus is laying out what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. It is the way of one priority living. Jesus covers a huge range of topics in this sermon. And right in the middle, when he's talking about like what many of us would say are top priorities, what am I going to eat? How am I going to be clothed? How am I going to cover my basic necessities? Things that we would all say, that, man, that's got to be a top priority. Jesus says, listen, don't worry about those things. Seek first, seek before those things the kingdom of God, and I'll take care of the rest. It's, it's recognizing that the one priority that we need to engulf ourselves in that God's calling us into 
is the priority of God's reign through God's people over God's place. If we do that, then he'll take care of the rest. And then later in your New Testament, Paul, the great missionary, is writing a letter to his friend Timothy. And here's what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so in this verse, Paul says, hey, Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. So Timothy was a pastor, was a leader at the church in Ephesus, an apostolic representative, and he had all these responsibilities. He had false teachers to deal with. He had competing priorities. He had pressures. Timothy himself had insecurities and and health issues. And, And Paul says, listen, he draws on an analogy that would have resonated with anybody that lived in the first century Roman Empire, that of a soldier. And Paul says, when you're a soldier, you have moved out of civilian life you said, I'm going to leave that life and I'm going to enlist myself in the army, in the service of, the, of the, uh, the army. And in that service, I'm going to have a commanding officer. And I can't come and go like I used to. I can't schedule like I used to. My priorities not like they used to be. My priorities now are subject to my commanding officer. And Paul says, Timothy, that's the picture of a guy or a gal who says, I want to be on team Jesus. I want to follow the kingdom of God living. It is to say that, that I'm going to be not entangled with everyday pursuits. A good soldier lives his life with one priority, how that we can uh, live to please our commanding officer. And so when I look at these verses and a whole lot of other verses, the picture that I think is more relevant for what God intends for his people looks like this. It's God. It's just God. It's always been just God. See, a well-ordered life is a one-priority life. A well-ordered life is a one-priority life. What if when you woke up in the morning, you only had one thing to turn on? What if you had one thing, you said, if I can keep this one thing in its right place, then everything else in my heart will find its proper place. And I know some of you, I'm sure, are thinking, Leventhal, come back to real life. You're telling me if I just focus on Jesus, it's going to be cupcakes and rainbows. And I just want to acknowledge that tension's there. That's real. And and we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go, so stick with me. But I do want to acknowledge that even with that tension, which again I think is real, this is clear. God calls his children to a life of singularity, a life that is singularly focused on the kingdom of God, which is to say a life lived in full recognition that we belong right now to the kingdom of God. And that kingdom, which exists right now, will exist in its full glory one day in the future. But as we move through our day-to-day glory, we need to recognize that this kingdom has a king. His name is Jesus. And our, our calling as God's people is to live our whole lives focused on pleasing that commanding officer. I mean, Jesus in Luke 9, he's describing, he's calling people to himself, and he's got guys who are saying, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I've got, I got this thing I got to do. And the son goes, well, I got to go, I got to go do this thing. And Jesus says, listen, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That sounds pretty singular focus to me. And so when Jesus says, focus on me, Jesus is the true commander in chief. What does that look like to focus exclusively on the kingdom of God? Well, it means that when I seek the kingdom of God, I'm resolving and I'm ordering my lives in such a way that I can live under God's direction and under his control. Seeking the kingdom of God means I joyfully submit to God's purposes in my life, and I pursue, I pursue his heart in all things. Seeking the kingdom of God is having confidence in God's provision. And when I have confidence in God's provision, that frees me up to be undistracted in my pursuit of him because I know my clothing and my shelter and all that stuff's going to be taken care of. 
It's seeing Jesus in my family. It's seeing Jesus in my work. It's seeing Jesus in my dating relationships. It's seeing Jesus in my spending and my saving and my giving. Jesus in my education. Jesus in my kid's sport. And it's seeing Jesus in our pain, in our suffering, in our isolation, in our stretched to thinness. And so when I am short, when I'm unkind to my kids, I remind myself that the Holy Spirit can, if I will let him, produce in my life fruit of love and of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness. It's Galatians 5. And I'll confess to the Lord my shortcomings and I'll go to my wife who is God's provision of grace in my life and I'll let her know that I'm struggling, that I feel out of control and I will allow her and his God's spirit to help redirect me and to admonish me when I need to be admonished. It means that when I feel betrayed or abandoned by my friends or my family, I'll remind myself that I have a savior who was despised, rejected by men. He was a man of sorrow. He was one acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It's Isaiah 53. And I'll take these feelings that I have of betrayal and abandonment and I'll run to those that God has put in my life and I'll say, here's where I am. Here's the hole that I find myself in and just be with me and remind me of what is true. It means when I feel tempted to click on that website or to let my anger go or to let my flesh take over, I'll remind myself that Jesus Christ died to set me free. And he says in scripture that no temptation has overtaken me that's not common to man. I am not special in my sin struggles. My sin struggles are common to man. I'm not terminally unique. And it says God is faithful. He'll not let me be tempted beyond my ability. But when I'm tempted, he's gonna provide a way of escape that I can endure it. And I'll take that and I'll run to those men, those uh, folks in my life that God's given me, and I'll bring that temptation into the light where it can lose its power. And I'll let these folks know who love me, what I'm struggling with, and they will help me find the way of escape if it's not intuitive to me already. It means when I feel discouraged or frustrated with the circumstances of my life, and I do sometimes feel discouraged and frustrated with the circumstances of my life, I remind myself that God sees me, that he's sovereign, over all things, including whatever my crummy circumstances are. And that I can learn in whatever situation to be content. I can learn to be brought low. I can know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I can learn the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, is that I can do all things, not through myself, but through Christ who strengthens me. And so I'll run to those who know God and who love me, and I'll share with them my discouragement and my frustration, and I'll allow their words and their encouragements to remind me that Lev... In and of yourself, you can't do it, but you can do all things. You can manage these circumstances through Jesus Christ who loves you. See, a person who has a one-priority life, their life is going to be marked by peace and perspective and patience. Not, not perfectly. We, we get that, right? Not perfectly. But their life is going to be marked by peace and perspective and patience. They're going to, be, they're going to have the peace of Christ in their relationships. And so when there's tension in relationships, they will move back towards knowing that Jesus Christ came to create reconciliation. And if he can create reconciliation in my heart between me and him, then he can create peace in my relationships with others. They will have perspective that all of life is a chance to glorify God. Every task, every job, every errand, every relationship, every conversation can be a kingdom of God conversation. And because they have the right priority, they can say no to things that the world wants to put on them. They can say no to the request to be on the PTA and the board and all these other things that, that, that complicate our lives and pull us away from the one priority. They can look at their kids and say no when their kid says, hey, I wanna take 
five AP classes, and I want to play in two sports, and I want to play the bugle, and I want to do all these things, they can say, no, that's not good for you. That's going to be too much for your plate. Because here's the reality, students. It doesn't matter where you go to college. It does not matter. And some of us as parents are failing our kids because we are either letting them drive the bus on their schedule into the ground, or we're somehow feeling like we missed out in high school and we don't want our kids to miss out. And we are creating exhaustion and weariness in in the lives of our kids, and it is wrong. And a person with the right perspective can say no to those things. They can help. A person with the right perspective is patient with others because they have a clear understanding that, look, The fact that we even care about the kingdom of God is nothing short of a miracle of grace and mercy in my life. And so if God has demonstrated this patience towards me, then I can be patient with others who I'm in conflict with or others who don't understand or have a different perspective on life. One priority lives are marked by peace and patience and perspective. And a one priority life has marks of hardship and inconveniences and discouragement. Lest any of you think I sound too... Pollyanna-ish, that if, I, if you just focus on Jesus, it's unicorns and rainbows and cupcakes and licorice, but not the black kind of licorice because that's gross. I know that's not reality. And a one priority life is going to have marks on that life of discouragement and inconvenience and hardship. I sent out a text this week to a group of men that I deeply respect, men that I would describe as one priority men. And I said, hey, guys, in the last 24 hours, what have been the things that have occupied your mind? What have been the things that have become a priority for you? And here was what their list, some of their list. Stress over a colicky newborn and a weary wife. Frustration around a recurring sin struggle. Hours spent trying to buy a hard to find gift for a child. Unexpected expenses around busted shower pipes. Concerns over the health of parents who got COVID and ended up in the hospital. Hours spent trying unsuccessfully to plan something creative for a wife's birthday, fear around health issues. And if you'd asked me, Lev, in the last 24 hours, what has been the thing, what have been the things that have taken up your mind space, I would share with you um, just a deep sadness, a lot of heartache over the hurt and the pain and the hopelessness that I see in the life of somebody that I deeply love and I can't help them get out of the hole that they're in anxiety over the sermon. You know, I don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to make this about me. And if I asked you what's occupied your mind, you'd have a list too. I know you would. And having these things occupy the space in our brain does not mean we don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean we're not pursuing a one-party life. It just means that living in this world, we're going to have marks of hardships and inconveniences and discouragements. We're all going to have those, which is why we need to remind ourselves of the one thing. We live in a broken and fallen world. Paul describes it, that the world itself is groaning to be released from its bondage. Romans 8, we have spouses that are going to hurt us, kids that are going to disappoint us. We're going to have dating relationships that seem so hopeful at the beginning that are going to end. Friends are going to let us down. Transmissions are going to go out unexpectedly. Job losses, sickness and disease. We live in a world full of hardships, full of inconveniences full of discouragements, but that does not mean we can't live a one priority life. See, the truth as described in my Bible is that in the midst of pandemics, of riots in our nation's capital, of income inequality, of 
racism, of sin. God has given us all we need to seek the kingdom of God. All we need to live a life as a soldier that's not distracted by civilian pursuits. But a one priority life doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen by accident. A one priority life doesn't happen by accident. It does not happen overnight. We don't naturally drift this way, do we? No, we naturally drift towards adding more and more and more to our plate in hopes that we can somehow numb the pain or the isolation, the fear we have in life. But thankfully, God is patient. He's committed to seeing through, seeing us through this life to the next. And this is what I think, part of what Paul had in mind. He wrote a letter to the church in Rome. We call it Romans. And in the first 11 chapters of this letter to to the Romans, Paul dumps on them mountains and mountains of of, of really significant Mount Everest-like theology about God, the nature of man, the nature of sin, the nature of salvation, the nature of God's relationship with Israel. It's 11 chapters of deep, heavy theology. And he pivots in chapter 12. And he says, we're going to take all of this information I gave you, and now let's figure out how to put shoes on it. How do we apply it to our lives? Because Jesus is not looking for a group of smarter sinners. Jesus is looking to transform our hearts and our minds. And so the very first thing Paul writes after all of that theology, we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. By, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. One of the key things we do to move towards, because it's not going to happen by accident, it's not going to happen overnight, one of the key things we do to move in that direction is we allow our minds to be renewed. And the word that Paul uses in the Greek is a word that describes to make new, to, to be different, but it's making new and making different in a way that is better. It's the same verb retranslated that is used in the Gospel of Matthew when it says Jesus went up on the mountain with some of his guys, and it says Jesus was transfigured. And it says his face, Jesus' face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. He was transfigured. And Paul says that's the picture of renewing your mind. It's, It's that you become something different, but something so much better, something so much more like Jesus and so much less like the pattern of this world. And this happens slowly day by day, measured in months and years, not days and weeks, as we remind ourselves and each other to stop trying to focus on too many things and just focus on the one thing. Last January, January 2020, I went to the eye doctor. I've got terrible vision. I mean, like even my contact lenses are thick. And uh, they said, hey, we're going to try something. We want to try something new with you this year. They said, we're going to give you one contact lens, my right one, that's going to help you see out into the distance. And we're going to give you a different prescription for your left one. It's going to help you read close. And your brain will figure out how those two things work, and you'll be able to see clearly. Well, my brain didn't figure it out. And so for 12 months, I've been living with this because I bought 12 months worth of contact. I'm getting the use at every contact. And I find myself throughout 2020 getting a headache kind of a recurring low-grade headache. Not a COVID headache, just a uh, contact headache. And the reason I was getting headaches is because I was trying to focus on two things and my tiny brain couldn't make it work. And maybe your brain is better than you and you can make it work with those contacts, but I couldn't. And because I had one eye trying to focus here and one eye trying to focus here, it did not work and it caused me frustration kind of the whole year. 
about my contact lens situation. And so this year we went back to the old school and now I've got my readers back. Yay. And I say that because many of us are trying to focus on different things and we're not seeing either clearly because we weren't designed to focus on multiple things. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God. He knows we can't focus on several things. In fact, in this same section of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a conversation and he says in this sermon, hey guys, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't store up stuff on this earth because it's going to rust and it's going to get stolen, all that stuff. Store up treasures in heaven. And Jesus ends by saying, no one can serve two masters. He's either going to hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, which is another way of saying you can't have more than one priority. We have one priority, and his name is Jesus Christ, and it's living with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And so what do we do? How do we begin or how do we continue the process of renewing our minds and reprioritizing our lives? Let me share with you four reasons why I think some of us are, not, are struggling with that. Let me give you four encouragements that I think if we begin to embed this into our heart, we will find a greater and greater degree of the rest that God intends for his people. One, some of us are overwhelmed and living a life that's misprioritized because we live as though we don't need God. We come to a building like this on Sunday, or we tune into a stream on Sunday, and then on Monday, we live as though it didn't happen. We live, as, as one author wrote, as Monday morning atheists. And our lives don't reflect a need for God. Our lives don't, don't, don't um, flesh out Monday through Saturday this reality that we need God. And so what should we do? We should remain with God every single day. Acknowledge you can't do it on your own. That's the whole purpose of Jesus coming. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. Just this week, several times, I had to go to my four-year-old, my eight-year-old. I just said, hey, listen, the way you're treating each other is not right. This is why you, little four-year-old, and you eight-year-old, this is why you both need Jesus. You realize that? You need Jesus Christ because of this, the way you're treating each other. And your daddy needs Jesus Christ too, because it might look a little different than this thing, but it's the same hurt in relationships. We need to remain with God every day, acknowledge that we need him. We're a soldier in God's army, which means we have people that are working with us. We are not Rambo on our own. Two, some of us are overwhelmed and living a life that's misprioritized because we have believed the lie that God expects us to do it perfectly. Or the other side of that coin is we believe we have to put the perception to everybody else that we're doing it perfectly. And for those of us who are struggling here, we should expect and confess setbacks. God knows you're not going to do this perfectly. See also the cross. Know that every single day, we're gonna have, you're gonna have plenty of opportunity to wrestle with and be distracted from the one thing by the stress, anxiety, exhaustion, and discouragement. But let those things serve as a trigger to point you back to Jesus. Last night, I kid you not, 9 p.m. last night, I'm working in my office at the house. I'm trying to scan, ironically enough, my contact lens prescription. I'm trying to scan that into the computer. And I couldn't get my scanner, my printer scanner to connect. It was saying it's offline. I'm like, everything appears to be working. And I'm feeling myself start to get more and more frustrated. I'm like, Lord, I, can't, I, I don't need an object lesson for this morning. I feel pretty good about what I've got. And I kept getting myself amped. And finally, I said, you know what? All right, Lord, what I want to do is let my flesh go in anger. But you have told me that no temptation has seized me except what's common to man. And you'll give me a way out. Lord, what's the way out right now? And so I turned off my computer. 
that was the way out. And I didn't allow that inconvenience, and it is. Computer issues for me are like the life force being sucked out of me. When my wife calls and says, hey, computer problems, I just like, I just power down. And I didn't get to that point because I allowed God to remind me, hey, bud, this doesn't need to take you off of the one priority. Turn your computer off. Deal with it later. Number three, some of us are overwhelmed and living a life that's misprioritized because our minds are filled with, and we continue to fill them with garbage. We let our employers, our, the news, our kids' school districts, our social media accounts, our lost friends and family, we let them tell us what's important. And for those of us who struggle here, we need to soak in God's word. We need to renew our minds by taking the garbage out and replacing it with God's word. God has given us about 1,400 pages of his life-giving word that is transformative in our hearts if we'll allow it to be. And we need to get the garbage out and replace it with God's good word. And if you don't know how to do that, jump in with our, with our family reading plan. Join the journey. Jointhejourney.com. If you don't even know where to begin, start there. Just start reading God's word and asking God, hey, this may not make sense, but God, if, if, if you know him, he will, your spirit, his spirit lives in you and he will illumine you the things you need to know. Get off of Amazon. Get off of Instagram. Get off of whatever garbage you're filling your brain with and get into God's word. Four, some of us are overwhelmed and living a life that's misprioritized because the size of our competing priorities is bigger than the size of our God. We fear making hard choices because we're just honestly, we're not sure God's going to show up. And we have faith, but it's small faith. We've never, we've never seen if God would show up. And so for those of us that struggle here, we, need to, we should trust and make decisions based on that reality. We all make decisions out of faith. You got in your car this morning having faith that the brakes would stop you at the stop sign. Okay? You walked into this building having faith that it was constructed the way that it wouldn't come down on our heads. You're going to go somewhere maybe for lunch. You're going to order pizza. You're going to have faith that it didn't poison it. All of us act out on things we have faith in. And if God, if we have trust and faith that God will deal with our salvation, then surely... He can handle our circumstances. And so we can begin to make difficult decisions about our priorities, about our schedules in a way that reflects our faith in God. Do you believe that God is for you? Do you? He is so for you. He's on your side. He loves you. He wants to see you be singularly focused on him because he knows that's the thing that's going to bring, that, that's the thing that's going to bring you life. And so if you'll trust him and you'll begin to act on your faith, God, I'm going to make some decisions. I'm going to cut some stuff out of my schedule, some things that I feel like are important. You'd be surprised how he'll step in. When we remain with God, when we expect and confess setbacks, when we soak in God's word, when we act in faith, trusting that God will show up, then we're going to begin to experience more of a one-priority life. And that's going to help us get off the exhaustion train and rest. As I land the plane this morning, let me, let me paint for you one more picture that I think I'm trying to help drive this point home. Many of you have, I think if you've been at church camp, or you've, you've seen the illustration of the bucket, right? You've got a bucket and you've got rocks, some small, some big. And in, in this illustration, the, the bucket is the finite amount of time we have, 24-hour day. And the illustration goes like this. You've got your 24-hour day, so figure out what your big rocks are, your big priority, and put those in the bucket first. Because if you got those in the bucket first, then, then everything else you can put on top. But at least you'll know your big rocks are in the bucket. And I guess that's good for managing your daily task list. But that's an awful way to think about your relationship with God. So look, if you've got to pick up the dry cleaners or deliver a heart transplant, you should know which is the big rock. 
okay, for your daily task list. But your relationship with God is not like that. God is not excited about being one of your big rocks in your bucket. God is not excited about being number one on your top five priority list. God's not looking to be your, the biggest slice of pie in your pie chart of your priorities. God is the bucket. God is the list. God is the, 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 uh, the pie chart. God is in and through and over all things, and he wants us to dial into him to focus just on him. One priority life. And because he loves us, because he's for us, he will make sure we are, we are successful. He has given you his spirit in your life. He has given you each other, the body of Christ, to help us, to remind us when we're discouraged and exhausted and tired that we don't have to live this way. We can choose by the power of the Spirit to say, I'm going to focus on one thing. I'm going to help my kids focus on one thing. And every decision, Jesus in my family, Jesus in my relationships, every decision I make will have Jesus. What would you have me do in this moment? And some of us need to turn off the printer. Some of us need to break up that relationship. Some of you need to go to a spouse that you offended this morning and say, look, I need to come to you and I need to confess that I was not kind. Some of you need to seek forgiveness from your children for how you are jacking up their lives by inadvertently reiterating to them that the, the secret to life is being busy. But God loves you, God is for you, and God wants to see you through that. Heavenly Father, thank you for a chance this morning to reflect on your word. I pray that our hearts would be moved, would be reminded, would be convicted, would be encouraged. Whatever we need in this moment to move towards a one priority life, I'm thankful that you have made this so clear that you, I can't miss it in your word. You have made it so clear that, that I'm to be a soldier who is not entangled in civilian affairs. I pray that for my heart. I pray that for the hearts of the friends in this room and for those who, who don't know you. I pray that today would be the day they raise the white flag. They acknowledge their desperate, eternal, significant need for a Savior, and they would run to the cross. Thank you for mercy and for grace and for kindness and for your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.